You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome to the Sacred Collective, where we have honest conversation and no judgment. Discuss theology and current events in an open and thoughtful setting. Say things that you are too afraid to say in church. We welcome your beliefs. We welcome your ideas. Join us. Find us online at ScreamingPods.com, on iTunes at The Sacred Collective, on Twitter, Sacred underscore MN, and on Facebook, Sacred Collective Twin Cities. Welcome to The Sacred Collective. We're back at it again. Uh, this week, we act- we have a actually a guest speaker in the house. I guess it's an interview, too. Um, Dr. Bernard Walker, so thank you for coming. Um, instead of introducing him, I'm just going to turn it over to him and he can introduce himself and see what, where he's at, what he's doing. Um, originally from Chicago, been living here in Minnesota since 2006. Moved here to teach at Bethlehem University uh, in the seminary to teach in the Christian Thought Program. My PhD is in philosophy. You know, my, my specialty will be philosophy of religion and ethics. Um, did my dissertation under Paul Moser. If, I don't know if any of you have heard of Paul Moser, but he's one of the at the top in terms of Christian philosophy. He's like right at the very top there um, at Loyola University in Chicago. Um, I'm currently an adjunct professor um, at several schools. So if you say where do I teach, I could say pretty much everywhere: uh, St. Paul College, Century College. Uh, let's see, Metro State, uh, MCTC. Um, I might have missed the school, but <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much what I teach now. You also do some martial arts stuff too, don't you? Yes, uh, yes, I've uh, been practicing martial arts since uh, 1985. Oh. Before you were even a thought. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was still here. I was still here. You're here. Eighty-three, eighty, eighty-four. So yeah, we were I, very young. My parents were very young at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not as young as our young in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love martial arts. I have two really strong passions. One is uh, tennis. I love tennis. Um, I've been doing that since I was 12 years old. Um, and martial arts. Start off with the the, the kung fu movies in, in Hong Kong. And when I was an adult, I said I'm going to practice martial arts and never get bored with it. So I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Hapkido, which is Korean, mm-hmm. and Taekwondo. And uh, those martial arts are kind of watered down, at least Taekwondo is. See, these days it's, it's not an art. It's a, it's a, I don't know. After school activity. Yes. <laughs> and most places are called, uh, they offer what I call take one's dough, uh, <laughs> then, take, no, like then take one dough. Take one dough. Oh, I'm going to get some bad comments from that. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> yes. Jeez. I'll say the fun thing, kind of piggybacking off of you. You were actually my first ever teacher in a seminary class at Bethel. So my first class, I think it was Monday. I think it was a Monday. It's apologetics. Apologetics. And that was, the fir- that was the first time I met you were Josh. You too, right? The first time I met Josh and first time I met you. Yes. And look at all these years later, we still know each other. 2006. Yep, 2006. So was, was that your first class mm-hmm. ever teaching? Yeah. That was fun. That was also, very, well, I, was crap, <laughs> I almost crapped my pants because I was so nervous because I'm like, this is not like college whatsoever. 
<laughs> that that was a good class, but it was probably the worst class I taught at Bethel too. Um, and you, you might know what that is. So there's a group, uh, for, for you guys don't know, um, I was called into the, to, to the uh, dean's office, and he said, how is it going here? And I said, great, I guess. And then he said, there's some chatter about you. Oh, my. Oh. I said, ooh, what, you know. And so that went on to telling me that there's a group of students in that class Excuse me. That got together and put together like a petition, or I don't know what it was, some document. What the purpose was, I don't know. But they were definitely not happy with me teaching that class. There was one student in particular that led the charge. He was a character. So, uh, so when I think back to that class, there were students that I had really good positive experience with, and then those I, I didn't, and they were on over on this side here. Um, there was one student that was part of that group, and he pulled out, and he said, I felt that my conscience wouldn't let me be a part of that. That's what we're doing. It's not right. So he pulled out of that group. Um, After the podcast, I want to know who that person is. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say, kids, pulling out isn't always the best, safest hey, choice. Caleb. Sorry. <laughs> so was this He's the editor. He's the editor. of chaos. Was this, was this based on substance of the content, or is based on... The way that you're teaching, or what I what I recall, so the, the main guy is it okay to mention names or anything like, or does it even matter? I mean, who, who it's was a, it's it? was twelve discretion. years ago. It's your, yeah, it's your discretion. I could do it out of resentment. I could mention his name there. But you want to? But this one guy, and so just on a bunny trail here, mm-hmm. um, there's a student I was uh, hit later, and we were talking. And he said, there's this, this guy here that tells people not to take you, you know, and he says all these things about you, and he says, you don't believe in miracles, this, that, and the other, and stuff. And I said, really? Because I didn't know that. <laughs> Where I didn't believe in miracles, and he says, don't look, but he's over there. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I know who you're talking about. I know who it was. <laughs> and and so, so this guy had a mission to go around and tell people, you know, not to take me as professor, take my classes and so forth. Mm-hmm. So he was, it's like it was something personal with this guy that mm-hmm. he just really just had it and so forth. Um, and I never denied miracle so forth, but he was so unteachable. To, to, to your question, he was so unteachable, mm-hmm. arrogant, very arrogant. Um, and some other things I could mention too. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think it was substance. What I did here. Was my test? Now this is graduate level, right? <clears throat> the tests were a bit hard. I can attest they Shocking. were very hard. <laughs> I had them twice. They're very hard. Shocking that graduate that graduate yeah. level classes are hard. Shocking. Graduate school is hard. What? I had, I had the opposite opposite experience with Bethel <laughs> Seminary because I went to the undergrad where I did philosophy and BTS, and my studies were very like hectic and rigid and like I actually had to study and do a lot of work mm. do actually do college work and yeah. study and spend hours in the library and I got to seminary and it felt like a softball that's what I hear and the student I was mentioning who, who told me this story he said I'm on my computer you know in classes I hate to say this but this is what he told you so I'm on my computers and everything I, and I still get an A. But when I'm in your class, I have to really pay attention and so forth. <gasps> oh, like, that's, that's the way it should be you know. Right. But uh, so that was some comments. And so in that class, actually, I allow students that if you get like maybe a B minus or lower, you could you could redo your exam to get a high grade. 
and still I got this this uh, this group of uh, students that were very pissed with me as the right. professor in my class. I can't imagine what it's like now, with, like mm-hmm. this, like the social media entitled sort of like. Of course, you're going to. Give I wasn't entitled. So the the people in their group, um, I don't know everybody, but the ones I do know, there are some issues with these people. So that was the one guy who was the ringleader. There was a woman that was in a class. Uh, in that class, too, was part of the group. And I remember sh- uh, just sharing some, some bits about it. Um, she wasn't doing too well in the class, and there was always, like, asking for extensions and things like that. So she wanted an extension on the final project. Mm-hmm. I said no. And she told me why she was going on vacation to the Bahamas or something like that. And I said, no, that, that's not an excuse. It's not like someone's dying. No, it's not like something. And she was very pissed with me because of that. Spring break. She, she wrote me a page of, like... She had a tramp stamp, didn't she? She was so... There's a butterfly above her act. So, no substance. She's a butterfly because she was the category. Entitlement and things of that sort. Um... Do you have any but, suspicion why this student was coming after you initially? Like, why did why was he accusing you of not believing? And I don't, I don't believe in miracles, but like, why would why is somebody so angry at the at the concept of a of a professor or a, a human not believing in miracles? Is it is it their own insecurity? Is it fear based? Like, with this, they, this this guy in particular, I was told this, and, and I won't mention the student's name yet, or maybe yet. But a, a colleague of mine at the seminary, uh, I'll mention his name, Mark Harden, mm-hmm. he said, and apparently you guys had to do some kind of psychological test or something, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. is that incorrect? Yes. Yeah, to get into seminary, you have to have psychological really? evaluation. Yeah. Right. So, I, think, I think it's I actually smart. I have to do that through my denomination, too, so Five it's really good. Five or six different tests. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So he told me, he said, because he, he knew who the student was, because I was you know, very upset with how the student was acting. So he says, oh, you know, this guy, he said he was off the chart in terms of being defensive. Mm, oh, it's defensiveness. Uh, yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. I was just, for, for me, I think the class was so hard is because where I went to college, it did not prepare me. Because I was, I went to, oh, North, really? I went to really? North Central and I was a pastoral <laughs> studies person. So I was just, I mean, literally it was like going to church camp. I had to pay like all this money to go. <laughs> no, it was like expensive. Yeah, really expensive. Church camp. No, it was. There were one or two classes that were really good. without an elevator. Don't flatter our guests too much. But no, <laughs> his class is church camp. No, not his class. No, my, my undergrad North, North, was church camp. Yeah, North Central University. Shameless plug. Um, not a plug. Shameful. Uh, just shameful. Just shameful plug. Shame on you. Well, no, and so, and then I didn't. I didn't have any like philosophy background. I think I took ancient philosophy at North Central, and that teacher was. It was probably Christianized too. Well, that. it was very Christianized. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with these people, right? Well, but what's wrong with Plato? What's wrong we with went Socrates? Through Plato mm-hmm. and Plato's Republic in one class period. What? How do you do that in yeah. one class period? And so then coming into your class, you know, dealing with like uh, uh, cosmology. Like when you went over cosmology, I was like, what? "Isn't it a magazine?" Like for cosmopolitan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I remember going. I remember going home and calling, calling my friend. I mean, now it's my wife, and I'm like, "I don't even know what's happening in seminary, Amanda." And I was like, "I'm like, my professor is blowing my mind." And so I just learned about science. I think, well, yeah, I was like, "You talked about the Big Bang," and it's like. 
it's not bad or evil like I was taught. So I think yeah, I was yeah. just more lightning bolts. I think I was more frustrated at myself, not you or anybody mm-hmm. in the class, because it was me totally being outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of people. Well, and, and I think yeah, that, right. and like at least for like Scotty, since Scotty and I are really good friends, Scotty Williams, we looked at Bethel. Shout out Scotty. Hi, Scotty. So he he even said like we won't say this about Bethel now, but when we were there as students, when you were there, like Kyle Roberts, Mark Hart, and Steve Sandage, like Sandage. all these all these people, they they made it like seminary was supposed to be difficult, not in a bad way, but it's supposed to be like oh, it's you, graduate level. Yeah, yeah, you believe this? Okay, we're gonna chisel it away. Not to say that you don't like what you believe is wrong. Critical thinking. It's to mm. it's to build you back up to yeah. be like if this is what you believe, have the the, the good foundation at why you believe what you believe. And some people say that uh, seminary for a lot of people is like a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go there to get fixed. We call it cemetery. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to go there so that you can be a leader. You know, yeah. uh, salt of the earth. But people go there to confirm what they believe, yeah, because uh, they're not secure in what they believe already. Right. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. It's shocking to me that, that. So I had David William, Doctor David Williams, for my undergrad in philosophy, and we spent a whole week just on line thirty-eight <laughs> of the apology, just on the unex- the unexamined life is not worth living. We spent a whole week just on that, mm-hmm. you know, and like we spent so much time in the cave with Plato. You know, and like we would actually act it out. You he saw your so, shadows, huh? Yeah, he is right, yeah. Why do you think I struggled in Christian thought somewhat? Like yeah. the reason I went to seminary at Bethel was because of Doctor Tim Sedaparatna, because he taught it. He you taught. Say his so so yeah. Yeah. He's just Tim to me. The thing is, I had him for my undergrad at North Central. I've had him for my masters, and I've had him for my doctoral work. He was my advisor, and I'm writing an article with him right now for a journal. So. I know his name well because I've had to say it and type it so many damn times. It's, it's completely fanatical. It, it's I know. Right He's there. like, it's not that hard to say. Send a Petterotna. And I'm like, you make me feel like my last name is not that difficult to say. What is it, Adland? Adland. Shut your mouth. <laughs> He's a, he's a good man, you know. He's smart. But, you know, like, uh, one thing I, you know, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this course, but one thing I, I did in all my, whenever I teach apologetics, the, the first day or somewhere near the first day, I will pick a student in the class and say, hey, I want you to come prepare and say some really off-the-wall stuff. Huh? Say that you believe Jesus was Marxist, atheist. Um, he was. Oh, <laughs> All kind yeah. of things, atheists, and he has several children and all this and so forth, or whatever you want to say, to see how people react. And so I had students do that in, in the apologetics uh, class. And I said, okay, now that we've done this, time out for you who are not aware, this was all stage. How did you feel when you heard these things come out of people's mouths? Did you want to punch him in the mouth? Did you want to do like if that's if that was what you were thinking, then you are not prepared to do apologetics hmm. because that passage in the book of First uh, uh, Peter says, uh, "Give be ready to give a defense with love, mm-hmm. not to use this bottle to beat over somebody's head," which is what apologetics often is mm-hmm. taken yeah. to be and so forth. And, and so I do a lot of talk of virtues before you get into any kind of substance about arguments for whatever it is that's defending the Christian faith. So if you're going to use apologetics, you're going to be in touch with people from all kinds of backgrounds. And one thing you don't need is some kind of uh, 
combative mode that you want to punch somebody out and so forth like that. Mm-hmm. And so if you cannot do that, you shouldn't be investigating apologetics mm-hmm. and so forth. So it must be with some kind of sense of concern and respect and love for the other person. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Kind mm-hmm. of, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, I was done. I was Fo- following like that line of thought, what if, if I were your student in an apologetics class and I, in that process of examining my beliefs, I, I went through deconversion and I let you know about that, what would your reaction be? Because to, like I was raised in the Bible Belt, like very Southern Baptist, very Calvinist. And so when I think, yeah, when I think apologist, I know, right? There's a stench coming off me now. When I think apologist, I think of someone, yeah, like you're saying, beating people over the head. Like, what would your reaction be to me saying, hey, doctor, you know, thank you for letting me examine myself. It turns out I don't believe in God anymore. Like, would you, would you try to, I guess, yeah, what would your, what would you say to me? Well, my, my first, uh, so when I was in grad school um, at a Catholic university, Catholic universities require all students to take uh, a certain degree of philosophy courses. I say that because that means that there are a lot of courses that graduate students can teach because mm-hmm. there's so many, everybody has to take it. Mm-hmm. So I was able to teach there, uh, and then I went on to teach at a secular university. So I've been exposed and, and had students from all kinds of backgrounds. I've heard everything under the sun. Sure. Nothing rattles my cage. And, and so uh, if a student goes this direction or that direction or this direction, if that's the direction they go, okay, and so forth, and so uh, it wouldn't rattle my cage, um, or I wouldn't look at the person a different way. Now, as a Christian, I would say I would be curious as to why the person doesn't believe what they used to believe and what the reasons are, and so forth, um, and have a conversation. But that's all it would be is a conversation, and, and maybe try to convince the person to change mm-hmm. to get back. Okay. Or to get back in a different way, maybe it's some stuff they need to just leave alone. Mm-hmm. So like you mentioned Calvinism. I, I don't know specifically, but I have some serious problems with some of the the, the strong uh, determinism that's in Calvinism mm-hmm. um, and so forth, and how that could make people fall to the side and so forth like that. So like I said, you don't have to throw a baby out with the bathwater. Maybe there are certain elements of, of mm-hmm. what you believe that made you go that direction. Right. Reconsider it. But if a friend says, no, I'm done with this Christianity stuff, boom, boom, boom. It's like, okay, if you are honest with yourself and that's mm-hmm. where you think it goes, so be it. You know? Would you would you challenge them to, after deconstructing, would you challenge them to deconstruct the deconstruction? Would you challenge them to say, okay, why did you mm-hmm. deconstruct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. I would. I would be. I just want the person to be honest with, with because at the end of the day, um, as a Christian, I'm not going to tell people I'm certain about my faith. Like in a sense that, oh, it's obvious that there's a God, and I know. I know this. I just talked to him yesterday. He was on Facebook. This breakfast this morning. Yeah. I click liked everything he said. <laughs> I even it. He speaks yeah. English. He speaks yeah, English. Yeah, in English, right? With him on you know, and and I say that it's not that kind of a faith. Um, and I wish it were like that. Yeah, right. Because then all the answers would be given to me. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Here's a question. Could you answer it? But it, it is does not work that way, mm-hmm. and that really pisses me off. How come he did that in the Old Testament, but he doesn't do that anymore? Yeah. Or you mean, you, is that a question? You, yeah. Oh. Well, it's not all that clear that that is what happened. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> I think we're friends now. <laughs> because if you if you look at the, the, the Old Testament, in fact, there was a book that kind of brought this out. I forget the title of the many... What, the Many Faces of God something. Uh, I, I may get the title wrong. The God of a Thousand Faces? 
just skip what I just said because I'm probably going to butcher the title. But it was written by an agnostic, I think. And he talks about the issue of harem. That's H-E-R-E-M. Um, the the whole cleansing, you know, mm. kill the women, children, babies, yeah, yeah. bash the babies' heads to the curb right. and songs and everything like yep. that. Mm-hmm. So if you look at certain books in the Old Testament, you will see in the, the text itself where there's a discussion that this person said this and this, and then another person says something the opposite in the very same book. Like, yeah, we should do that. The other person says, no, I don't think we should do that. The person who won that argument is the author of that particular book. Mm. Oh, that's good, man. That's mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. So, are you talking about Joey <coughs> Campbell? Oh God, this is so long ago. I don't remember. He does like the Power of Myth stuff. But, like, I don't think that so, it doesn't ring a bell. I, just yeah, I, could, like, I think those are called like doubles and triples. So, like, for example, like who found Jesus in the tomb? It could only have happened one way forensically, but the Gospels have four different accounts of who you know, and so then what people nowadays are like who's right and the people who were writing the document didn't care who was right they're telling the story particularly if if they on that on that note that this is a footnote by nature or whatever you want to call it but I tell people about that whole situation is that you know in the gospels it mentions the women coming first mm-hmm. and everything and we know from Jewish tradition that anything a woman said was just considered false mm-hmm. So if this is a conspiracy or made up myth or something like that, they would have left that out. They would have left that out. They well, would have hmm. mentioned it. My understanding is that the text in Mark says that they ran away from the tomb Another after phrase. seeing a guy that just had a white robe, mm-hmm. on. and then they didn't tell anybody. In one of the saw. gospels. So yeah. how is it written down if they didn't tell anybody what they saw? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like how does Moses write about his death? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, well, if you talk, or when Jesus was Josh alone. McDowell, Josh McDowell. Mm-hmm. Am I going too far back for you guys? No, okay. no. no I remember Sorry, what you used to say. Well, Je- Jesus was alone in the Garden of Gethsemane and was sweating blood, but all of his followers were sleeping. sleeping. So how did anybody know that that happened? Because sure. he got caught by the centurion. I think God whispered in their ear. Well, no, Jesus like, was tick with them sleeping, you lazy so-and-sos. And by the way, when you were asleep, I was sweating blood. <laughs> He's so cool. yeah, yeah. It's just another footnote. Yeah, this little footnote. Come on, guys. I'm sweating blood over here. I'm going to die. <laughs> Get off your asses. What a raw, raw deal. Did you have some questions you were kind of wanting to lead? Well, I mean, I'm taking us far afield, I think. What, so you've been posting on Facebook about certain political <laughs> things that I find very interesting, and I find your perspective very been shot yet so interesting on it. I concur. And so... Uh, that's what that was the impetus for inviting you to come and, and hang out with us and have a conversation with us. And I've been saying this for months now, but I think the unprecedented evangelical support, white evangelical support for Donald Trump, is uh, is almost silencing. It says so much about the vacuousness of American spirituality and how religion has become a matter of identity and not a matter of belief. Where folks, where we all come from, I think, whether believe or not, our wheelhouse is our belief moves us, not our identity, because our belief has become our identity in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we don't just say, like a lot of a lot of evangelicals, they probably couldn't tell you more about Jesus than that he was born in a manger and died on a cross. And so for them, it is a matter; it is a almost just just part of who they are. Another another label, whether it's doctor, Mister. Christian is that extra label in front of them. Like, what am I? I'm a Christian. Um, but he, so Donald Trump got more support from evangelicals than Reagan did, than the first George W. Bush did, and the second George W. Bush, who said, Jesus will be my co pilot, he will be my vice president. Like, I am one of you. But Trump got more support for that. And so I, I see that and I say, 
religion isn't so, like if me and Angela do this bit where we go to churches and evaluate them. Do you want to like we stand up and tap dance in front of the church? I go to atheist go to church. It's also on my podcasting network. My name uh, is Caitlin. Please listen to my podcasts. <laughs> so I, I may not be a believer, but I still consider myself deeply a Christian. The Christian story affects my life. I study the Bible still a lot. Uh, I've spent a lot of my time first century documents. Um, I still can read ancient Greek. Like I spend a lot of time studying because it can't classical or pointing. Both Shaq Koine. Both. Um, but, like, I don't know. It just interests me. It's what I studied. I give a damn. And so to see other people who, even pastors, who are just spewing this vitriol, who don't know their heads from the sand. Yeah. And, like, I studied this stuff, and it means something to me, even though I'm not a believer. So to see these, you know, um, it's almost like back in medieval times where so, if someone's a cardinal is because they have the right connections. And it just pisses me off. And so saying Liberty University. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean I mean every time Donald Trump gets up and talks about his dick on stage, which he does, he's pissing in Jesus' face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he's like the opposite if you put Jesus and Trump on a scale, where would they be? And every time Christ? he brags Almost about insulting a woman Christ? like yeah. which he is as far done. away from Christ as you could possibly be. Matter and anti-matter. Anti-Christ? But it's it's just so... It's so disheartening <laughs> to see people who claim to be, up, you know, in with a Jesus, as it were. Uh, someone that, like, I completely respect like, and admire and study his teachings and believe a lot of wonderful things happen around this individual. And to have these guys be like, it's the same thing, just vote for this Trump guy, he's great. It's so... And- I just had recently. It's just so I know. I just had. There was a friend that I had. I kind of lost contact with her, but she was in this Christian rock band, and she came from this very, very conservative Christian household. And like when I would hang out with her at shows, she would always kind of like use me as a bodyguard for like because she's very attractive girl. And when she was on stage, you know, very sassy and swiveling her hips and, you know, and, you know, guys would get a certain idea about her. And she would kind of, like, hide behind me as, like, oh, their boy's kind of, you know, and, like, I would, you know, kind of monitor that situation just because... I don't know. I'm, She'd think you were Trinity from the Matrix or Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, exactly. um... And, um, I mean, she knew I was raised in the mean public schools in Minnesota. And, no, she, she was homeschooled, so that's not a homeschool joke. Um, but then, like, just recently stumbling on her Instagram and seeing her wearing, like, all these, like, Trump t-shirts and stuff like that, it's like, do you not see, like, this is the kind of thing that you hypocrisy. were so scared and fearful of like this this guy brags about it like does those things to other women how could you as like and she you know labels herself a feminist too and I'm like how can you label yourself a Christian and a feminist and then be like America's gonna be great again with this guy who's like I, I would, yeah, grab him by the pussy or like I, just just kiss him. We, we, we all sin. We all sin. Fall short. Yeah. Or like when he was at I host beauty pageants and I can go back there when they're changing because I 
host of, and I'm like, these are like underage girls. It's like if anyone else was saying this, it so would be so. When Trump before he stole the election field, he was at Liberty understand. University, and somebody was like, uh, "What's your favorite book in the Bible?" And what's your favorite book? And he said, mm-hmm. "Art of the Deal." And then they they were like, "Oh, close close I'm second. just kidding." Close seconds, yeah. the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he said, "They said, what's your favorite book?" All and he said, two Corinthians." Yeah, he couldn't even say Second Corinthians. It's like it's like he thinks it's the sequel. Like the return Die Harder. Die Harder Revenge of the Lichens. I really like the Corinthians prequels. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Fun fact. JJ did a good job. Fun fact. Uh, first Corinthians is not First Corinthians. There's a, there were the four Corinthians. At least you didn't think the book of Philippians was from Asia. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I got that. That's, that was but good. This there was four, there was it was four Corinthians. Where the book of uh, Malachi is really written by an Italian prophet. <laughs> it's me, Malachi. Come oh, into my home. In, 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 in First Corinthians, it says, in my first letter I sent to you. And so you're like, oh, this can't be the first letter of the Corinthians. It's just the only one we have. We don't oh, have the first one. Yes. So there are so. prequels. Well, the, yeah, to the there, yeah. No, there was like, well, there was three or four Corinthians that they put into into two. If I'm not mistaken, with my New Testament. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. You start, yeah, in my first letter I sent to you, like, this is the first one. Yep, and Acts and Luke. Yep. Luke well, it wasn't in Kings. First you know, interesting Kings, what you were talking about. Um, like three or four. This is uh, somebody recently suggested that it's like a codependent relationship, right? So if you think about a codependent relationship, two people, you do something for me, I do something for you. And the relationship is not healthy, right? It's a very unhealthy mm-hmm. relationship. And so if a, if a guy is with a woman and he's beating her, she overlooks all the negative stuff. And will swear him no matter what, mm. and that's how a lot of evangelical Christians are. Well, you know, Trump was Trump. straight up and just said, "What do you, what that's do you want?" True. And they said, "No abortions." And he just said, "All right, you got yeah, it." Well, I got it. Now look, everything you do, and then he used so, the Bible. All have sin and fallen short. Isn't that in the Bible? Yes, right. You want a perfect president? There's no perfect people, right? So is that why everything he says? Huh? Are you defending Trump? What? <laughs> There's no perfect people? So is that why everything he says, no matter how awful it is, no matter how bad it gets, they don't care and they just keep defending him? Because I have never seen anybody that says all of the shit that he says and still be lauded by so many people. I'm like, oh, if Obama how said is, one of the things I know. that yeah. Trump said, he, he, would be, he would have been impeached. I know impeached. that. Um, right. Or Clinton, too. Um, but more, much more Barack Obama. Yeah. Having Barack as our president uh, show the blatant racism that still is continuing yes. in our culture. It's I mean, you get signs of Hegel here, right? The yeah. theses and antithesis, and then you get this here. Huge yeah. reaction. Yeah, it's reactions from, from Obama. But yeah, the, the whole codependency thing there, you go, why do you keep going back to this guy? He beats you all the time. Don't you see it? Just like, you know, you hear him talk all these things about women, Mexicans, uh, Africans, they come from shitholes and yeah. things mm-hmm. like that. Haitians, Puerto Ricans, were yeah, American, American mean, fucking citizens. Handicapped, um, you know. Oh, God. Yeah, Which is all even just women who are trying to ask him a hard question. Yeah. Oh, she's bleeding from her whatever. Right, right. Yeah. You know, you like, and and, they're, still, and that? they're the ones that voted for him. That is, if you want to know what antichrist is, that's antichrist. Everything oh, he says is the antithesis Literally. of Jesus, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And yet the very people who support him are many of them are Christian. Yeah. You know? Well, and his his largest support came from places that are the furthest from the border. 
uh, that don't have anything to do with immigration because mm-hmm. it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. And those are two of his big things, mm-hmm. you know. But so it the the polls show that the poorest in this country did not vote for Trump. They voted for Clinton or someone else, but they voted against Trump. And what we're trying to be spoon fed is that the poorest in this country all voted for Trump because he can change something. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I hope it's just a matter of time until he gets impeached. There, the day, uh, not the Daily Show. Um, last week tonight has a great bit. They call this stupid Watergate. That's what they call it, like the whole Russian investigation on it. But at this point, there's so much corruption that is in front of us in our system. It's just like when Snowden dumped all the files on us. It's the shocking stuff that should have been shocking was black hole prisons, uh, torture of innocent people, uh, gathering data. But none of us cared about that. We were like, oh, we already know that. We already know the government's lying to us, but no one's doing anything about it. And hopefully, I hope that if Trump does anything good for this country, it's that people will wake up and mobilize and say, no, this is our country, and we're not going to let corporations take it over. We're not going to let... This is our country, and and as far as Christianity, this is not Christianity. Yeah, right. right. I mean, I believe for for a long while that what we have seen called Christianity is... uh, trying to think of a a good word to use. Bastard... uh, Chameleon, uh, whatever. It's mm-hmm. not what we have seen is a commercialization of yeah, Christianity. Absolutely. You yeah. join the church because you you just had a couple of children. You want something for the kids. Yeah. You just got married or whatever like that. They're, Maybe they're your relationship is not great, so you need something to give you support. Go to a church. Maybe you have a business. Go to a church, right? And you get contacts there and all that kind of stuff. None of, you know Jesus threw through. You know he went into the temple, right? You saw what he did there. Oh yeah, yeah. kick some butt. He got right. pissed. He got pissed. He got pissed. <laughs> that was not the point of the temple, right? Yeah. So you get all this going on there. You talk about important issues in the Bible. You want? I mean, I remember teaching Sunday school in the churches I belong uh, to about apologetics or something theological. Very next room, they're talking about how to have better marriage. That was packed. My class had like three or four people, <laughs> right? So it didn't matter that it was Christianity; it was about the the pragmatism, mm. you know, how it's going to yeah. meet my That's personal needs. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it's not truth; is is how a belief works for me, and so yeah. how can I make it work for me? It's like Scientology. It's it self-centeredness. It it's egocentric. Egocentric. Like an agent. If you know anything about Christianity, it is 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 the opposite of uh, ego, right? Mm. Everything about Christianity is the opposite of ego. It's about dying to the self, dying yeah. to the self. The Christianity that we see is all about feeding the self, feeding the self. So you get these mega churches, elevators, coffee shops in the church, all this, yeah, all that stuff. Prosperity, you know, God has a blessing for you, boom, boom. Who would not want to be a Christian under those kinds of terms? So what we needed was a spotlight or flashlight to say, let's expose this, this, uh, I'm trying to think of a good word for it. Exposes this. this uh, so, well, the subversion of Christianity. Like Yakuza Zalul had that great book called "The Subversion of Christianity," where mm-hmm. he talks about how Western society and capitalism has taken the core message of Christianity and flipped it to be a self-help movement. That's what it is. You, know? mm-hmm. you look at like even Christmas. I mean, it's a it's a Christian holiday, but really, who 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 practices a everybody? Because this is so. It's probably the most self-centered holiday that there is. Right? You give me yeah, gifts absolutely. and everything and stuff like that. Me, so, me, me. me, me. So, Christianity in large, people who join a church, they're not questioned about, you know, they. You're told like this is what we believe here, and this is how things are going, and so forth. Do you want to be a member? Boom. All right. Your whole family is here. Very little discipleship, where you get very one on one about what what Christianity is about. And so, over time, you get this bastard of a religion 
Um, and you need something to, you know, something to happen to put a spotlight and say, this is not Christianity, to see what it really is. And that's what's happening. I think in this country, we, we're living in a post-Christian America that um, to call yourself a Christian, people look down at you. And that, that shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of those were genuine Christians that gave, us, gave, gave that name out. It's because of the imposter that was there. Uh, and it's not gonna. I don't think it's gonna. It's gonna reverse. I think it's just that's it. Christianity is is in the past. Now that doesn't mean that Christianity would die. Yeah, you know. Right, right. But but formally or institutionally, hmm. it's well, not. I think I think formal churches and formal denominations died when like the UCC started. So like Pentecostalism. I mean, Lutherans and Catholics still kind of have a kind of presence. Like my neighborhood, there are two Lutheran churches within a block. You know, the closest Catholic church is three blocks away. But Catholicism is dying out, except for really devout people. So, like, people who still want to be priests and nuns, like, they got plenty of people going in. But just parishioners, it's not it's not a family thing anymore. Especially after the scandals of the 90s and 2000s. Right. Like, yeah. The, you know, tens of thousands of little boys and girls being abused. Like, people... Now social media, like that, wasn't just something you could put under the rug. That's there. So even though, like, I'm, I was raised Catholic, I still love going to Catholic churches, but I barely ever go. Um, and there was opportunity for them to correct the problems, and they didn't. No. Well, the same thing well, in the Protestant churches. So I went to visit the Vatican uh, when I was younger. I mean, I was in my twenties, but. When I first saw it, I was like, "What a beautiful waste of resource!" <laughs> you know, like it's gorgeous, but. You stole this money from the poor to create this monument to yourselves, and like it's the opposite of what Jesus would do. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's gorgeous. Like you can go and you can see Constantine's mother's basilica right there. You can you can look at the Sistine Chapel and it's gorgeous. You know, you can you can walk through like I got to see John Paul II's tomb and it's beautiful, mm-hmm. very simplistic, just rose stone, granite, and that's it. And it just says his name. And that's it, and it's beautiful. But that was also a ten million dollar burial. You know? and, and you know the um, you didn't mention this, but I thought I would uh, say something about it at some point. That um, you mentioned white evangelicals, but there are also evangelicals that are black as well. They have a lot in common, but there are some differences. And um, I'm a bit surprised that it's uh, that that uh, there's some commonalities that I didn't expect. So. I am surprised to see the number of African Americans actually voted for for Trump. Mm-hmm. I was just on Facebook recently with somebody, uh, and um, there's somebody else I know who posts this like anti-immigration stuff on her Facebook, um, uh, just really wacky stuff and so forth. So that catches me a, a bit off guard that I see it. But I just wanted to make this quick comment that if you look on a large scale, that Probably many African Americans who are evangelicals probably didn't vote for Trump. Uh, a good percentage of them, more less so than say white evangelicals, and, and so they have the same common beliefs like uh, uh, sola scripta, right? You know, this God's word inerrancy. I think really has that's mm-hmm. another issue about how it's really made people leave the church, mm-hmm. you know, because of that issue. But they have those in common. But one area where white evangelicals and black evangelicals differ is politically speaking, uh, socially speaking, they're different. And But theologically and all those other areas, they're the same. So did God create the earth and the heavens in six days? Both were going to say, you know, to the far right, yes, God did. 
would you say is racism uh, big in this country? The mm-hmm. African Americans mm-hmm. say yes, and the white evangelists are going to say no. So they differ politically and socially, but they are on the same boat, mm-hmm. uh, theologically speaking. So that begs the question, why is that? Actually, I'm working on that issue, but I think one reason is because African Americans in general, regardless of being Protestant or Catholic, or even secular, atheist, whatever, had to deal with the big gorilla, that big problem of discrimination, racism, all that, from the time that Africans came over to this continent. That is an institution. That's an, and you, know, you don't have to really think too hard about that. That is an institution, right? So they knew that if this institution was removed, then I can enjoy life like every other person in this country. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, Africans and then African Americans had to deal with the problem of institutions from day one, mm-hmm. where whites didn't have to do that. They like, oh, over in England, we don't, you know, we don't have to have the same religion. We could come over to America and do our own thing. We don't have to do that, so we're free. So they're not under any kind of restrictions and so forth. Um, to some degree, in the beginning, where you had state churches in you know, some places. But once that was settled, there was no, no real problems for whites in this country uh, in terms of institutions were concerned. Um, and so, uh, but the people who had to do with institutions were African Americans and, and Africans. And so they get the whole structural thing from day one. Uh, where evangelical whites really things are pretty much privileged, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that, so to see institutions as a problem, it's a privilege not to see them. It's hard for them to see it that way. Mm-hmm. Is that pragmatic again? Is it because it has you haven't been faced with? It's not a, a thing. That, is that why white people think there's, that racism doesn't exist? Is because it's not like in their face? In part, yeah, in part. and also because the war it creates. Christmas. It creates some dissonance, cognitive dissonance. Starbucks okay. not put Christmas. <laughs> I think too. One thing that Americans are terrified to talk about. All of us are um, Native Americans. We're terrified to talk about what we did because we. For, I mean, we killed ninety. The reason that when people came to America, they're like, "Oh, it's almost empty," because we killed them with germs first. Germs, right? Yeah. Ninety yeah. percent of the population was decimated by our germs. From, it wasn't a military conquest. No, no. And everyone thinks like, "Oh, we just it's a pushover." No, we killed them with germs, and then we killed them with steel, and then we killed them with guns. And the other thing, Caleb, to your to your uh, question, uh, what what's common among say uh, Catholics versus? say evangelical Christians is that Catholics have become very pluralistic ecumenical in Mm. in their thinking which means what? The D word diversity of thought, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Where they're open to various avenues of truth and and how to solve a problem and so forth like that. Evangelical Christians might say that it's just Jesus alone and and I don't need to have a discourse with anybody outside of that circle and so forth. So they really don't have to see institutions for another reason, right, Uh, as a problem. It's just if that person's heart were changed, there would be no more no discrimination. It's like one dimensional. It's one. Dimensional. It's yeah. just Jesus. That's he's the solution to everything. Right. It, it actually reminds me of the concept of Trump, where it's just one individual. You don't have to think about all the three branches of government or the multiple branches within the administrative. Thank branch. God we have three branches. Like, oh. <laughs> Trump has Checks changed my heart. Oh. He said some things that really changed my mind. And I have a, I feel like I have a personal relationship with him. I've sat with him. I've been on my couch 
seen them in my on my TV in eight years. Next to Jeff Kennedy. I can just have this Jesus. Oh fuck! That's what I'm trying to say. Did you hear what? What's the old the old Pat Robertson? Said last year, a couple weeks ago, Jim Baker too. A, a couple, oh. a couple weeks ago, he said that Where's he had Jim? a dream and he saw exactly. Trump sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, I heard about Whoa. that. Yeah. Yes, which no, I heard that. If too. you're a Christian, who sits at the right hand of God the Father? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Son. Is Pat Robertson the? He looks like a gremlin. Is he focused on the family? No, seven hundred close. Seven. Oh, wait, wait, Who's the guy who does uh, focus on the family? That's uh, uh, Dobson? D- James Dobson. Yeah. James, James Dobson. Dobson. That's yeah. who I was. They're, both, they're all creepy. I think he passed away or not. Did James he? Dobson? Yeah, is he passed no, away? He's still not to my knowledge. Okay, I haven't heard that. There's a Ken Dobson, his son, I believe. That's uh, He's still alive, too. He used to be a pastor, though. He's still a pastor. I think you know who he's thinking about who died? Well, Billy Graham's son is a freak of nature. Because Billy Franklin Graham, Graham yeah, Franklin oh, Graham's yeah. a weirdo. Billy Graham died, I think, last year. I love that he died in inclusivist. Yeah. Like, my mom is so angry about that. That, he, <laughs> that Billy Graham died as an inclusivist? Yeah. That yeah. he, like, really just kind of was like, wait a minute. Maybe we don't have to hate everyone who's not us. And, and you could actually you could be an exclusivist if you make a distinction between De Ray and De Dicto mm. of Scripture or Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, that's that's a good argument. I like that. I, I know, you probably don't know what I just what I was talking about there, but so it's, just yeah, it, it's, the, it's the work of Christ rather than the proclamation of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was gonna, it's prag, we're pragmatic again. <laughs> Here we go again. What I wanted to say, making it fit a little bit ago, where you know you were saying about being in a post-Christian nation, and I agree with that because usually, like what we did when we first started, we kind of went, we did roll call, which we forgot to do today, which is fine. Um, we'll do it at the end. But, but what we, we would kind of do, like, where we're at in our faith and spirituality. And, I mean, I've grown up, I grew up Pentecostal, like, some of a God, dabbled, you know, in Baptist stuff, hence why I go into Bethel. And now I'm in the United Church of Christ. But, like, I actually had, like, this breakdown, and most of the people here know it. But my wife and I were coming home from the mall a couple months ago, and I had to pull over because I was, like, crying. And I said, I don't want to call myself a Christian. Mm. And she was like, and of course she was freaked out because she was like, uh, like, are you okay? Like, what's happening? And I said, I love Jesus. I do. I believe in the teachings of Jesus. I believe in the message. And I actually will go so far as that I think he died, not for our sins, but because he was so radical that the, the government, the people of the time killed him. He died because of our sins, maybe not. Not, not for us. Yeah, yeah. But, and I said, and... But I said, I don't want to call myself a Christian for many reasons. I said, you look at a lot of my family. I mean, I love my mom, my brother, extended family. But we're so vastly different in how we view things. And they didn't vote for Trump, at least my mom and my brother. But my extended family, you know, small-town America, I know for a fact mm-hmm. they voted for mm-hmm. Trump. And Even if they didn't see it. Yeah, exactly. Even if they didn't see it, you can just tell with their Facebook comments or their cryptic posts on things. And I said... But I feel, and I, and I, and my close friends will say, will know. When I say I'm a mystical agnostic, meaning mystical, mystical. I see God more out, like in the world, you know, in nature and in there, or like I find it in community, like here. But then agnostic is not that I don't believe in a God, but that I believe God is so unknowable, like putting God in a box, you know, like. 
if we're finite human beings and we're trying to put an absolute on an infinite God, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And, Unknowable. And agnostic. Yeah. And, and so that works for me, but yeah, I still believe in Jesus. But I feel like it's fueled more. Kind of this all goes back to the guy with the capital T with Trump. And I feel like it's maybe... I'd say lowercase t for that, please. Okay, lowercase <laughs> yeah. t. 45. I'm going to believe that word out. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. We could just say 45. 45. Can you give me an upside down lowercase t? Oh, there it is. Kind of like the Yeah, exactly. But no, and I think it's easier for me to actually say that now in this political and, you know, Christian, post-Christian thing is because, and I've even said to my mom and my brother, I feel closer to God in my faith now or lack thereof faith than I ever have before whether when I was at Bethel for freer, seminaries right? yeah I feel freer because I like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll, I'll get off the bus when I go to work and I'll pray and I'll be like God I'm praying to you but I don't know if you exist mm-hmm. but I think that that by me saying that is me being open to be like I'm praying to you not because I have to but I'm choosing to I don't know if you exist because I've never seen you but I feel like God's done things in my life, not necessarily saying a miracle, but I feel like God's done stuff in my life. But I don't know if that's true or not. But I feel more free in my faith because I'm like I'm not caught up in being like, well, because I was raised evangelical or I was this or I was that. Isn't the lack of knowing required, though, for faith in its definition? You would think like, it is, yeah. If, if God's sitting here in the chair next to me, then where's faith? Well, like, what, what? Right. There is no faith. I also exactly. think we're on this. this like, cost. I have faith in Brian. Because you can see, see me. Is. You can see me. We're, we're on this cusp of where a I lot of... I love that you said setting. <laughs> not, and not the Minnesota sitting. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to learn Minnesota. I'm from it. Kentucky, you guys. I love it. <laughs> I also think there's there's an arc right now where a lot of Christian leaders are coming out as atheists, or at least people who are struggling with their faith. Or agnostic, maybe. And it's becoming the sexy subject. Like, it's edgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's... Is in vogue. <laughs> the funny thing is that's how TV and movies portray being gay right now. Is that it's it's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, I, I have, know. I have so I work with summer camp kids who are like, I wish I was gay because then I'd be cool. One <laughs> yeah, ask, ask my brother how cool it was exactly. to be gay yeah, right. in high school Come in 90, 1999. No, no, ask but, him how cool he felt. Yeah, right. No, but I think Thank you. what we're missing is. So we're being shown these stories and these archetypes of like, well, work for that guy. But if you're actually doing the work, like when like I had hard conversation with my parents about my faith, uh, didn't go well. Mom doesn't want me to go to church with me anymore, you know. Or and it was and she didn't say about that. She was like, I wore I was wearing a dress hat. It was a very nice, very nice newsies hat, um, and um, actually the hat I wore to get married, like it's a dress hat. And uh, my mom was like, "Well, if you're going to wear a hat, then you should come to church." But what she's really saying is, "You don't believe this anymore. I don't really want you here." Um, you know what I mean? So it's like the subtle undertones. Do you think that that was what it really was, or was she just being like, "I don't want my friends to see my son," and and then vicariously, I'm wearing a hat because my son's wearing a hat. Partially, but there are lots of people wearing hats in church, not just me. Right. You know, so it's not like I'm the only person wearing a hat in church. But that was the way she could be like. And then she was like, well, I was hoping you'd take your hat off and come to church. And I was like, oh, great. Just stab me in the heart. Twisted. But I think think right now we're seeing people who are mainstream are afraid to come out as atheists, even though Peter Rollins probably is an atheist. He always kind of denies it. On Facebook, 
just yeah, but uh, but when he's talking about like he does the whole deny the resurrection thing, yeah. he's like I deny the resurrection every time I don't do this and this and this, mm-hmm. and I affirm the resurrection every time I do this. But in reality, he's not you know probably not a believer, and but he's his base is still believers, so he has to still kind of have that like eh, gray area. Um, but I mean that's for his livelihood too. I think it goes back to the Caputo thing. Like Caputo has that quote. Uh, we need to we need to tear down the walls of the church from the inside. Mm-hmm. Like we need to get in there and tell people it's cool. Like you were saying earlier, Dr. Walker. Like if you want to believe this, know why you believe it, and that's great. But let's really look at ourselves right here. And if we need to tear down, we need. I'm going to say this is maybe a little bit too uh, assertive, but I think that we do need to tear down the walls of the church. Like I think this Eastern is true. Oh yeah, baby. Blow it up. Yeah. Let's blow it up. On the 4th of November? Well, yeah. yeah. I think the... Da, 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 you just incriminated us. <laughs> well, I would say the, pro- the problem with most churches is, like, so if our group continues to grow, I don't think we should buy a building. I don't think we should mm-hmm. incur bills. I don't think we should have a space that we don't use. Unless we're all going to live there as a community and do something okay. where, like, we... That'd be sweet. Where we That'd inhabit. be a new monastic. Yeah. But if we, if we inhabited the space... Let's buy a sweet ass some- mansion in uh, North Oaks, Minnesota. Yes! When he's gone, I'm gonna for all the. <laughs> I'm in. After my lease is up, but, scare all you know, the North Oaks neighbors. You know, Brian, yeah. you, you were talking about just your journey and everything. I think that is the essence of Christianity. If you if you look at the Bible, it depicts God as a God that hides and seeks. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Job, for example, right? Like that that uh, and at the end of the story, there's nothing really clearly stated as to why all this stuff is going on and so forth. Uh, Jesus even talks about, you know, these things have been revealed to you, right? The, 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 the God of hiding and seeking. Uh, the fact that you have that struggle on the side of the road indicates that you have a genuine concern and wanting to know God versus the person, like I mentioned, a codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what happens, hell could, you know, whatever, that person is not going to give up that those cardinal beliefs about the other, whoever, you know, that other person, or even an ideology, right? They're not going to give that up no matter what. You take Calvinism. What about the people in Nepal? They've never heard of the gospel. Well, somehow God would send a missionary right. mm-hmm. over to yeah. them, and yeah. then that's how they... But there are billions of people there. Well, he'll, they'll get, you know, give them enough time to talk to everybody. Or a missionary, <laughs> or, or maybe God sends oh. special revelation in a dream or something. Oh, All I've these ad hoc type right. of stories. Yeah. Why not just simply say that's not how it works? Period. Yeah. So many loopholes. I cannot do that. So I much gymnastics. That. Yeah, I cannot do that because those are my cardinal beliefs. I need those. So no matter what happens, I will refuse to give those up. Uh, but you, on the other hand, said, "Let me challenge these beliefs," and they actually make me start to question God. That's the guy, I think, that really lives, the one that wants a relationship, the one who says, I don't want you buying into this this plastic, uh, very stoic... Cookie cutter. Yeah, type yeah. of thing. You know, uh, so God, God hides and seeks. I like that. You know, it makes you struggle. In fact, to your point, why does God not, like, you know, you know reveal God's self to everybody? Paul Moser, the person I mentioned to you earlier, he's written a ton of stuff on this since 19... 19- 95, a lot of his work in philosophy has been on the hiddenness of God. Mm. Um, but if you think about, let's say you're a very famous person, very rich person, you're single and you want to get married. Well, what if everybody knows that you're very wealthy and, you know, eligible? Everyone wants to marry you. Yeah, everybody wants Gold to marry diggers, you. And they can tell you whatever story they that they think you want to hear. You're not going to get genuine 
So you need to hide something from your, hmm. from them, right? You need to so they seek after you in a certain way, so you get the real, genuine relationship with them. And so um, when Bertrand Russell said, "The atheist, what happens if you die and you realize there's a God?" You, you guys remember what he said? Mm-hmm. There's not enough evidence. That's what Russell says. And so one could respond and say, well, Russell, you were determining what the evidence looks like. You didn't see God write his name or her name, whatever, in the sky. You said that's evidence. And God said, who gave you the right to determine what the evidence is? Yeah, and so I, I think, so I identify as a non-believer, but I would say that, um, I think Nietzsche said, the truest believers, the, the atheism that comes through Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's a struggle there, right? There's, yeah, and it's, it doesn't. It's never settled. No, right, and that, right, you know, right. And that's and I think that's not. There's me, anxiety. That's there, not yeah. me being angry at God or trying to be a militant atheist. That's me being like, this is where I'm at right You're now. You're being honest. And yes. Derrida said that the truest believers, and in his definition, I think the only believers. And this is where we even get this word deconstruction that we're always talking about every week. <laughs> but Derrida said, you know, that the truest believer. I'm doing air quotes. Has trudged through atheism and still retains a part of that as their worldview and their identity because they've actually been faced with the lack of God, the death of God, you know, the, I think that's kind of a little bit related. I think we talked about this before, we talked about, like, this is a quote loosely attributed to the Buddha. He says, if you're looking for water, you don't dig six one-foot holes, you dig one six-foot hole. Um, and so we're all looking for water regardless of what religion we're for. And so the water is supposed to be the part that gives life. And part of the thing we all bitch about is that most churches are worshiping the well and not the water. Mm. So, like, the water's right here, but our steeple needs to be bigger. <laughs> we need more PowerPoints. We need, some we need a new person to do greetings. How can we hire this person? What about the coffee shop? What about the coffee shop? Mm-hmm. The it's elevator. Just, yeah, it's just... It's just so frustrating to be like, you've got this perfectly good water right here that you're just wasting. And instead of <laughs> giving the water to people that you could just give for free, you're like, well, yeah, but 10% would be nice. And you see that steep link getting any bigger. So we need like a sewer church. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would go to a sewer church. Well done. Yeah. Well oh, done. I just smell like shit down there. <laughs> it smells like teenage mutant. It just smells like life. That's what it's like. Yeah, just like shit. Raw shit. Cowabunga, dude. Cowabunga. In the same way you're talking about Nietzsche, does that mean that we should all become true believers in Trump so that we can be oh boy. the best anti Trumpist? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good turn of phrase there. I like how you just totally flipped it. Uh, That's my bad. Being the devil's advocate. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Should we become Trump supporters? No, God. I couldn't. Oh, I think I threw up a little bit. <laughs> um, I, you know, I do think it's important to note that there were 19% of Americans that voted to, de- to decide in the primary or even through the uh, process before the primary uh, whether Hillary or Trump should be the nominee. So, or sorry, 19% actually voted for either Hillary or Trump to be the, nominee. the nominees. So, in the, so in the it's the a very small number. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, I don't know the statistics, but a lot of people voted against the other candidate as mm. opposed to for a candidate. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's easy to say, what oh, you know, my relative voted for Trump. But there was a humongously large sentiment of people that weren't just voting for Trump. They were voting against Hillary Clinton, who had a lot of problematic things happening 
And yeah, I don't want to get into yeah. those details. Yeah. Yeah. But there are a lot of issues there. Oh, I absolutely agree. Hillary was a very problematic candidate, and for me, it was definitely choosing a better of two options. Yeah. Like, I felt like Trump was a terrible option, so yep. I voted for That's Hillary. That's why I did, too, yeah. Um, Honestly. And uh, Minnesota swung for Hillary yep. barely. Yep. Barely. And I was, that kind of made me ashamed. I I I really I just needed to see a therapist the very next day. I mean, I didn't, but I really I felt cried. like I, I, I was cried. I yeah. I did cry. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I question reality. Yeah, Angela. Angela was, was like you know night. December seven, nineteen forty one. Yeah, it was one of those kind of moments. I didn't well, sleep so that whole night. Then, like then I that, saw the yeah. numbers rising and rising and rising. And I came into the kitchen and I started crying, bawling to Joshua, and I said, "I can't watch this anymore." Yeah. And like, mm. I, I'm like. I, it, this it's is like traumatic. a betrayal. Yeah. A betrayal, yeah. 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 Right. And I just went to bed and I like cried I, myself I, to sleep. I didn't even I sleep that night. And the worst part about it, next to our, our neighbors are Pakistani immigrants. Oh, and they own their God. own business. And that morning we came out and she was outside, the mother was outside, and she was had tears streaming down her face. Yeah. And we were both just like, it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to get through this. But it was like, oh my God. You know, like she. Four years is a long time. Yeah. It's a long, yeah. A lot but of I mean, shit can happen. A so, lot of. <clears throat> So her children yep. are first generation Americans. You know, she she moved over here. They have a successful Mediterranean grill business. The original Mediterranean grill in New Brighton. Shout out, hey. go there. It's delicious. Um, but they started their own business, and they have their, their family are first generation Americans, and they're, you know, almost uber American. Like their sons in the National Guard, and they're you know doing all this great stuff. But like that morning, it just felt like someone just spit in their face. Yeah, we came outside right. at the exact same time as she was leaving for work, and you could both see in both of our eyes just this intense sadness. Like, we didn't even know what to say to her. Like, I wanted to go over and hug her and be like, we're neighbors, it's gonna be okay. Honestly, like, we're gonna stick together. Right. Like, but just looking in her eyes, like, I think I cried on the way to work. Yeah. Honestly, that so Trump winning the election was one of the most surprising events in my entire life. Um, I think I, it was almost one of the most well, surprising plus, events I, in I, history. So I tend, you know, I, I tend to listen to more. So I listen to Democracy Now, and I listen to their podcast every day, their webcast, and I listen to like I was reading the Huffington Post, which I stopped after the election because they called it for Clinton all the way. They said yeah. she's going to get eighty percent of the vote. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And that's the kind of media that I was, you know, listening to that and CNN, and they were so confident that Hillary would win. And I was like, thank God, we're going to dodge a bullet. Yeah. And then the opposite happened, and I was like, it's like hubris. I so I went through back through the articles, and I was like, where are your actual facts? Where are you actually getting this reporting from? No, these are just opinion pieces. Um, you didn't do any real movement. You know, you probably were so busy writing this stupid article to make money, you didn't even fucking vote. <laughs> you know? it, it really hit me because my oldest daughter, who's now 20, uh, and I, I try not to get too emotional when I say this, uh, it was her first year to vote. She was 18. And so she went and voted. And, you know, I remember when you, when you vote, this. you have that sticker that yeah. I voted. Yeah. And I know who she voted for because there are only two people and, and so forth. And I I cried because it was like, you know, I, I gave her a hug when she voted. And like, you know, you're stepping out there. You know, you have that you're right to vote. Yeah. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then the very next day to see that her vote, mm. what it resulted in. Mm. You know? Yeah. Now, I'll share just this quick little thing. I won't mention this person's name, but it really surprised me. Because everything he says, he's a philosopher. Um, I will say this much, too, that he was kind of kicked out of a college, a Christian college, because of something he wrote. 
and he and, and I thought we were all on the same page and everything. So I made a comment. I said I felt really bad about my daughter, you know, that she voted and and saw the results. And you know, a woman was running to be president, and mm-hmm. you know, looking up to a woman possibly being president. Mm-hmm. Not just the fact she's a woman, but other things. Mm-hmm. He, and he said, well. You shouldn't use Hillary as a, a role model and so for your daughters. And I said, excuse me, um, my my wife is a role model for my daughters. I don't need you to interpret what I just said. Mm. And then he went down this path about, well, Trump will figure it out. He'll make it work. You just give him time. He'll get this. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, I, everything I know about this guy just really blew me out the way. Like, I don't believe you're saying this. There's nothing about what I know about you. That would lead me to believe that what you just said is coming out of your mouth. Mm. There's is, nothing. Is his first name Pig's popular name, and his last name is a Stone? <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know. Who it is. Tried to bait him, but but he um, <laughs> I could tell you, but don't. But you have to delete it out. I, I don't know where he teaches. Can you tell us after? Yeah. yeah. Is that okay? Is okay. that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, and then he went on. Yeah, he went on to say, "Well, uh, Trump will figure out how to make it work. Give him time. He'll he'll work out the kinks." I'm like, what the. And then he said, Hillary... Oh, and it's not he, a massage. He just went... He hated Hillary. You can tell there was venom. He goes, the Clintons, they, you know... The, and mm. she looked the other way when when uh, her husband had these affairs. And, and Which is between them, too, as a husband yeah, and wife. Right. But, he, but the women that he abused and so forth... Excuse me, Trump's on his what wife? <laughs> right. And how many times did she die? How much did he pay for her? I'm right. sure, like, right. You sound like you have a personal beef. Here and yeah. so forth, get over. And so he's still on my Facebook and everything, but that just surprised mm-hmm. me. I'm like, yeah. I don't know you. Right. I do not. What you, you probably thinking this way for a long time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my guess is you probably voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And as as Malcolm X would say, oh, yeah. the chickens have come home to roost mm-hmm. because yeah. if you see these. I was going to say something, but this is a podcast, so I'm, you can say, say people yeah, we say. that voted for Trump. <laughs> I think about right now. I think we about the movie that came out before any of us were born called The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, right. Such a Classic. good right? movie. Classic. That is what happened in this country Such not recently. Preach it. I don't know another way to explain this phenomenon, right? Ugh. So you got all these people... And what really angers me is that, okay, you made a mistake in your voting for this man. Mm-hmm. But you have seen what he's done since then, and you mm-hmm. still are su- supportive of what he does. Mm-hmm. What? Hey, everybody listening, get out your ass and go vote this midterm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up, actually. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't vote last time. Because uh, you That's mentioned right. don't vote, or you said you voted for the lesser of two evils. Are, do you guys agree that you voted for the lesser of two? I didn't. No, I, I didn't per se like oh, some things that Hillary said. But here's the thing: Hillary is a politician. Lifelong. She's politician. rational. Yeah. She's been around she's for a, years. She's not a fucking reality TV star. <laughs> no, like, no, somehow stumbled. What's happening? Secretary of State, yep. very intelligent, very smart. She's had a local office before. Yes. Uh, yeah. She actually. And knows. Obama picked her for some reason of some sort, right? And then. Uh, so C- even if you disagree, competent. yeah, competent. Even if you disagree with some of her policies, yep. you know that when you go to sleep at night, she's not going to make some stupid ass decision, or she's not going to put something on Twitter that makes yes. absolutely no, no sense. sense. She's going to start a beef <laughs> with Iran. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to start. Well, a that's in all capitals because yeah. I'm awesome. because <laughs> well, I'm smarter than everybody else. So it's, you know, so, it's my <laughs> understanding that she decided to go into Libya when Obama himself 
didn't really want to do that and topple a regime. And it seems like that's evil. I don't know. But uh, but that may be anecdotal too, right? Yeah. I mean, in a, in a well, sense that... deciding to topple a country seems not just like an anecdotal... No, but my point is yeah, to, to appeal to one, like, you know, like... You could think of some great people who have made major blunders, right? You could yeah, think of any I president. Mention a couple make, others. Make some major blunders, well, but collectively, to think of the things that she had to offer as president versus him. So it's not for me. It was not so much that oh, she has all her things in order that she doesn't have some dark sides. I oh, I know she does. But when we're left with those two candidates, and in fact, we could blame her for Trump being in office because technically. Bernie should have been the person, oh, yeah. and there were things done to sabotage. Yeah, Bradley. she stole it. Yeah, yeah, beef. Yeah, and I, I think things would be be different. But what I was going to say is, uh, when when you invited me to to come over, uh, what a week or so ago? I don't know when it was. Maybe last week or yeah, last week. The person now is different than a person then me, uh, and so I kind of appreciate coming here tonight because it's somewhat therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. And, and what they mean, this is sort of a personal uh, comment here, that over the last four days or so, maybe five days, I experienced some deep emotions. One fear, one anger. And both directed white people. Mm-hmm. Okay, that I've never experienced in my entire life. So I would go public places and I would just have this rage. Like yeah. I just wanted to just you know, just do some serious damage just because the person's white and so forth. And that I've never thought that way or felt that way and so forth. Mm. And I know I got plenty of good, you know, white friends and everything, but it was hard to see that because every time I turn on the news, it was Trump or some 16-year-old girl who had her throat slashed and uh, where was this at in uh, up northeast, northwest, uh, I forgot. I don't know if you heard about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she and her sister, cousin, whatever, were leaving a church somewhere near the subway. Um, so this might have. It's on the West Coast. I know. Yeah, this is out in the Bart in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like, there's yeah, been yeah. like four or five oh. murders. Yeah, right? yeah. This guy just just slit her throat. Sixteen year old. Oh. Uh, and you heard in in uh, Florida, this 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 white guy because he was pissed because the car parked in a uh, uh, handicapped spot. He's going to set them straight, and because it's a you know stand your ground state, the, the black guy pushes him to the ground and go, oh, now I have a right to kill you, poof, and he was let off scot free because supposedly he was defending himself. Now if you saw the video, he gets pushed down from behind, he rolls over, and the guy just stands there. There's no threat to him, but hey, the law says I can shoot and kill. Because I'm standing my ground. Yeah. It should be equal force, I thought. Like, you should feel like you're threatened with something that could kill you in order to reciprocate. Last time the, I the police, the police like said, we're not pressing charges That's against horrible. this guy. Then I'm on Facebook, and then I see up in uh, Idaho, a youth pastor yeah. takes this group to uh, a McDonald's or something, and these jerks saying you half breeds go back to where you came from blah 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 this and that and so forth then uh, where this woman in uh, Ohio uh, this guy tailgated her home rolls down his window and says nigger 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 uh, you know you, you living off the government boom 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 he just kept saying nigger 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 and so forth 
And I would tell people that prior to this past week, I would say that some of us, some of those people like that probably exist in their pockets of them like that. But the majority of people, whites in this country, probably, you know, they, they have some racism, but not to that degree and so forth. And to slit someone's throat. Uh, and there might have been an, oh, yeah, and this was a park in California, Oakland somewhere. This black family had a, uh, a family reunion or something. And then one of the older family members went into the washroom at the park. And there were some class guys because uh, they had KKK written on a park bench. They went in there and boom, 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 shot them three times and left out. And I think that was within a few days ago, too. So I, when I talk about fear, I'm like... It's like Trump's emboldened people on All of a sudden, all these things are happening without, a, without any sense of uh, uh, concern or fear of retaliation or, you know, like, I'm going to do it and what's going to happen to me type of thing. Then there's a fear on my end because it's like, Dad, you know, I could be walking down the street. I don't know what the next person's going to look like. He better make sure he does his job because if he doesn't, I know what I'm going to do back to him. <laughs> and all these years of, of the, the resentment and hatred, or not hatred, but frustration I have will come out. But seeing this, it's like, well, I don't want to get paranoid. Like, it's like what country you know, if, if, if I cut somebody off by mistake, is this guy going to pull out a gun, you know, and go at it because he feels nothing's going to happen to him and so forth? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is somewhat therapeutic for me because it's like, God, I go home, I watch the news, I go on Facebook, here's another story, but it's happening every day and so forth. I didn't think this country was really this bad, you know? Uh, and so these people either always existed. Mm. And just didn't say what was on their mind, mm-hmm. and now they feel comfortable doing it. I think Trump emboldened them. And or, you know, well, that's what I'm saying. They feel they, they, they could do it, and he's making America hate again. Yeah, know? absolutely. Well, I actually asked a couple of my coworkers, because it's funny, because I actually work out of one of the most liberal schools in the state, but in our department is very, very conservative. And I'm not going to name them in case they listen, but a couple... A couple of them, um, I because they know that I'm definitely not a, a Trumpster, and I, I you don't want to say Trump around me just because it just boils my blood. And this individual, she said that she voted for Obama twice, but now, and she's a, you know she's not a card carrying member of either party, but she said she voted for Trump this time because she felt she was like Hillary, you know, crooked Hillary, you know. Trillery, whatever. With, yeah, Trump yeah. said. Trillery? Yeah. Tri- that was a Trillery. thing. If Hillary would have been a serial oh, killer, I would have taken and her Anyway, but, and I said to her, what's one of the main reasons, just tell me, I'm not judging, but tell me one of the main reasons why you voted. And she was like, well, taxes. And and, and one of the things... Very self-centered. We talked about Dr. Walker, just like what I had posted on Facebook, and it's this... White privilege, like they don't understand. Because I had to talk to talk to many people there about what white privilege is, and and they were like, "Well, I don't want the government to hand out money to you know like WIC or other you know social thing." Because they're like, "If I get up, I'm tired as shit, and I have to get up and go to work. Why is it that some mama popping out six or seven kids is my problem?" And and I was like. And a couple of these people, I'm like, that's why you voted for Trump? Because he was going to put an end to that? And they were like, Very well, self-focused. I, and, 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 I, and that's what I said. I was like, you're focused on yourself. 
And I said, as we as human beings, if we were helping those people, we wouldn't even need the government to do that. And there might not even be a planet Earth with Trump stays in office. Right. And, 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 I, and, I, and I said, the reason Trump, Donald Trump won was because, and I said, a lot for racial reasons, that you can't convince me otherwise, but I said, the small town America who felt the last eight years of their country was ran by an African American, they were threatened by that, they were not ready for that, yep. and they and, and even, even Obama had said he did a bad job in the Rust Belt, he did a bad job in small town white America, he, did, he went through the roofs in urbanized cities, but it, you, you saw what happened is the, the small town people, and I'm saying even small town people who are Hispanic or Asian or even African American, they felt threatened that we're like, now we're going to have another person like Hillary in office, even though Donald Trump is from Manhattan and has lived in you know major cities his whole life. But they felt like, here's a white guy who can go back and understand what it's like to be, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps. But yet Donald Trump was given his like a twenty five million dollar loan from his dad to start his business. Well, it's, it's also it's pitting the poor against the poor. Well, r- well uh, right. And we're living like a tale of two countries. We're like yeah. it's fine to give money to poor, to rich people, but if you give it to the poor, well, like, right. These poor people. Well, and that's exactly what I said to some of these my rich coworkers. Do? And, and I was like, and, and, and I was like, but. I was like, why is it wrong that the government wants to, not fully, but why is it wrong if the government wants to help other people? And this couple of these people have worked at, you know, um, bigger box stores, we'll just say it as that. And they're like, well, there are people are coming in, you know, on WIC or certain, you know, government assistance, and they're buying Xboxes, they're buying big screen TVs. Well, and I that's- said, that's wrong, but what you're doing is you're segmenting a very small section of society and saying, now all society is doing that. I am mad as a white individual, and now this is why I have to vote this person. They're not making any logical sense. They're just saying, this person, this issue has pissed me off, and now I'm going to vote the worst possible person in it. And I I even looked, I said, do you think Donald Trump cares if you as a white person in Podunk, Minnesota, or Podunk, Iowa, wherever you live, he doesn't care if you're going to save money or not. He just literally, he's a narcissist. He cares about himself. And what he can do in ratings. Well, and I think the so apples and oranges here. So people hate women, they hate Sam, they hate a lot of food assistance programs. They say they're evil and that we're enabling people to be, you know, whatever they are. But then you have US Bank Stadium, which was subsidized by the people of St. Paul, Minneapolis. I'm paying for that as a property holder. My property taxes went up thirty one percent. I'm paying for that stadium. So rich people in the NFL don't pay any tax whatsoever. That the the lit, litmus test is what I call the, the plan B test. So what, if the person is genuine or if they're just talking a bunch of BS, um, take health care. If you don't like the Affordable Care Act, which they call you know Obamacare, uh, what's your plan B? Now, you never heard uh, Congress, when I, when I say Congress referring to the, the, the Republican uh, uh, part of Congress, you never heard them really offer a plan B. Over the Affordable Care Act, they just like they I don't like what you're saying. I don't like I it. Like I don't it. like it because I'm not really concerned about the people either. I mean, I'm not concerned about the people, and I don't like what you're doing. So, if I were really concerned about the people, I would have a plan B. I would say yours not working. I have a better one, but I don't. So, I don't really care. So, my test is the Plan B uh, test. If you really, if we're both so-called seeking the good for whatever for um, society. The common good, whatever, like that. 
maybe I'm wrong-headed in where I'm going because you're pointing it out, but you should right now have a plan B. If you don't, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. You know, I'm putting out a fire. Stop putting that fire out. Um, What's your plan B? (laughs) I I don't have one, but I don't want you to put the fire out. Why? Uh, I uh, I I don't like it. I don't like it. I was very happily surprised when that guy who bought the patent for that small drug and raised the price over a thousand percent you know that that mm. like 25 year old oh yeah wasn't it like day. it was an EpiPen yeah EpiPens yeah he cha- well I think it was something else he changed the price so the price like was $47 a month and he switched it to like $74,000 or $750 yeah and so people were like you can't do that and he's like I bought the patent I can do whatever I want and he's like yes you can do whatever you want but it's completely unethical yeah now he's in prison which is fantastic. And the guy who did the payday loan scandal, he's in prison. He has to spend 15 years in prison. And he, like, I don't know if you watched Dirty Money, the documentary on Netflix. The episode with him is fantastic because he basically made all his money off the poor. He put his operation in an, uh, in a, a reservation, Indian reservation, so he didn't have to pay any taxes on it. He would charge people an exorbitant amount of money. So if you if you borrowed three hundred bucks for him, you would end up paying around eleven hundred dollars for that one loan. And he, it was just just all red tape, and so people thought they were paying off their loans, but it was actually they were just paying fees. Hmm. So they actually owed the whole balance plus the fee they were paying, and people didn't figure it out until they'd pay off their original balance and be like, "Well, I already paid you four hundred and fifty dollars of a five hundred dollar loan." And he's like, "No, no, no, you still owe the principal of the five hundred dollars." You were just paying us fees to continue the loan. And what he said was, everything we did was legal. Like, ethics doesn't even come into it. He didn't even care about the ethics of taking money from poor people and extorting them. That didn't even come into account. He's like, well, it's legal, so why should it be okay? And that guy's in prison now for 15 years. So at least justice is moving slowly. But hopefully, and, a lot and when, more you, when you think about what poor people or people in this country believe, I honestly have to say uh, that Fox News has contributed a lot to both the uneducated and educated people uh, in terms of their source of information. And they're telling them stories like, you know, the whole thing where ch- ch- uh, chain migrate, uh, uh, what is it, uh, chain uh, immigration, right? And what that is and what it isn't, what people, what it really is and what it really isn't. And even that term itself um, to the issue of who pay taxes and who doesn't pay taxes, right? Uh, and who has the jobs and where the jobs are going and who, you know, and all those kinds of things. And so they, they complain about all these people coming, taking jobs, and where the money's going for people who, you know, well, you know, you can say that about anything. Like, uh, let's close down the ER in the hospital because people abuse that. Let's not even have an ER. So if something happens to you, you have a heart attack, oh, well, I guess you got to die because we got to dismantle the ER system, right? Uh, the ER in the hospital. Or let's take the, the criminal justice system. We know that some people are falsely accused. You know, things happen. Let's not even have a court system. Let's just, like, let people do whatever they want to do. And so Duke forth. it out in the that is, Right. And we know that doesn't make any sense. So why start to say because something needs reform uh, that we should just jettison it completely, just get rid of it completely? So I've always been of the attitude that if I have students who are abusing, say, financial aid, okay, but... There are many students who benefit from it. Mm-hmm. All right, so so if I'm really concerned about the greater good, given the human nature, you know what human nature that could be a theological issue about depravity or whatever, that there are going to be people who will abuse no matter what it is, 
you know, exploit it. Uh-huh. But doesn't mean that you jettison whatever it is because it may have an overall greater good for everybody. So whether it's it's healthcare, um, you name it, uh, the story is let's get rid of it totally. I don't know how much time you have, but I want to make a quick comment about white privilege. So the Brian, you mentioned white white privilege and how there's reaction. I, I see people talk about this often, and it's quickly it, it becomes clear quickly that that person doesn't understand the concept. And when we think about privilege, period, it's like an accessibility to something. And 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 often without you doing anything to, to acquire, right? In virtue of your job, you have privilege to certain things and so forth. It could be in virtue of your birth. So there are all kinds of privileges and so forth. Some are good, some are neutral, and, 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 and uh, some actually are detrimental. Uh, the Tofil uh, said, I forgot where this is, but white Americans, when he came to the United States to, to look at America. You said Tocqueville? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that white Americans, I forgot the exact words he used, that his, his point was basically it, that because of their power and they will be, they, oh gosh, because of their power, they are in a position to be aloof and, and unaware of what, what's going on in the world. I don't know, I'll probably butcher, butcher what he was saying there. But my point is this, there's, there is a, let me talk about the positive side of white privilege. There's a privileges, period, but, but to the term white privilege, there's a positive side to white privilege. And it's this, that as a white person in this country, anyone who's white and gets it, has some power to make changes in this country that a black person, a Latino, Asian, whatever, cannot do. In virtue of your skin, you could get much further in the in the court system and politically speaking, socially speaking, than a person of color. Use that privilege, mm-hmm. you know. So Be that, an advocate. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I've been Be in places ally. where I remember a state trooper. He didn't stop me, but my actually was uh, going to Bethel one day. It was a snowstorm this day. E, e, is it E1 or E2? E2. 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 And my car started doing this, and I went down. The, I was like, oh, my goodness, I went down. It was stuck. One guy comes by, and he, he's going to offer me help. State trooper pulls up, and he goes, this guy even looked at me. He goes, like, what's going on here? I want to be smart. Like, what does it look like? Right. <laughs> and he goes, where are your driver's license? And I'm like, isn't the first thing to do is say, how can I get your car out of here? It's if somehow my license is more important than the fact that my car was stuck. And he never smiled. He was always this, this like, disgusted look on his face. I didn't have it on a coat because I was I had no idea I was going to be in a ditch. <laughs> and I was shaking. It was really cold that day. And he, he, he never got out of his car to help out. Not once. Didn't offer any assistance. And he said, go on back over there and help that guy pull your car out. Well, I think one thing that you kind of glossed over is... You had to filter yourself before you could even respond to him because you wanted to say something yeah. smart ass just because, yeah, because that's what I knew, that's where, I knew what would have happened if that happened, yeah. Right. So you right. edited right. yourself mm-hmm. before you even did anything. That's something that mm-hmm. white folks don't have to think about, right? That's the privilege, yeah. right? and that in his mind, you didn't earn the discussion yeah. that I was talking to you guys about uh, that I was having on Facebook. People didn't understand that, like, I was like, as a white, well, of course, they don't because as a white male, like, I like, I've even said to my wife, epistemology, well, I even said to my wife because I said my wife's mixed she's half half white half Mexican I said you would be pulled over before me 
just because solely on the basis of your skin tone. I think the, the first solely, time that, this isn't the same thing, but the first time I was ever completely discriminated against was when I was arrested. So I got arrested for a, uh, like, it was, it ended up being nothing, but it was trespassing. But when I was in uh, Ramsey County Correctional Facility, I was... That some, it sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. It sounds bad. It's, I was, I it's was, not bad. I was there for 48 hours, but every, like, anything I said was dissected to be, like, to being aggressive, even though it wasn't aggressive. They had to justify it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was, I was like, hey, where are the bathrooms? And they'd be like, what do you want to know, boy? You know, and I'd be like... I have to pee. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I have to do the, something. But, I'm biologically. It was something that put me in a place where I'm like, no, I, um, I've never been treated this way before um, as a white person. And now that you have, that's why I said it's epistemology because what people, everybody does this. That when you think about something, you discern the the validity or the justification of a belief based on your your own lived situation. Mm -hmm. And everybody else's situation must be just like mine because everybody Mm -hmm. I hang around is just like me. Right? Now, a person of color has a variety of friends and people, they so they get a variety of views. But for many whites, most people they're around are just like whites. And so if I believe this and this person believes it and that person, without them being aware of it, is also white, then this black person must be making this stuff up or it's just in their head and so Mm -hmm. forth. So it couldn't be true. And that's from first-person right. perspective. So it's all uh, made-up stuff or paranoia. So this, so what happened is we finally get the car out the ditch. And, and he said, go to your car and wait there. And I'm thinking, why? What the? I'm like, nope, nope. I'm not going to let this happen. Because mm. <clears throat> he'll find something I did, damaged property, and so forth. So I go sit in my car, and he comes by. And a week before, I had my wallet stolen at LA Fitness, and I think I even know who did it too, actually. Um, so the only card I had was my Bethel ID in, in the in the car, in my wallet. And he goes, "What's your middle initial?" And the his whole tone, like I had done something wrong. Right. And I said, "It's Jay." He goes, "Well, you should put that on your driver's license because you know, you know that if that's your whole name, then you should put it there." So he's doing all this stuff. So anyway, I was supposed to meet this guy named John Nelson. At Bethel, uh, we're, I don't know, remember why we we're going to meet. He's a white guy, and, and so I I text John and said I'm going to be late. John walks from Bethel, E2, and and, and that down a rep. And so John says to the officer, "Is everything okay?" And when John came, this is white privilege in the positive way. I'm like, thank God, you know, <laughs> here's Superman or whatever like that. So John comes, and he says, is everything okay? And the officer says, Bernard is free to go now. Oh, my God. The Brighton cops are... I'm like, free to go? I don't know what it means. It's shared. They're sheriffs. No, New Brighton has a police force. They're a bunch of fuck-ups. And and so... I I was like, I wanted to grab John, like, (laughs) you know... You're such a great, you're a superhero now with your white privilege here because being white, if my friend was, uh, let's say, Jerome or Willie or or Jabari or something, or Scotty, I'm making up some names here, and was black, it would be like, whoa, 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 you you stay over there, right? Back up, back up. Let me see your hands. You know, you have nothing to do with this. Yeah, stay there. I'm not done with him over here. Done, right? Mm -hmm. But he said, no, Bernard is free to go. That's a weird and I'm thing standing to say. there, That's a power you know, play. like I'm this this object all of a sudden, so forth. And I didn't react because it's like I'm not going to give this man 
uh, an opportunity and just a look in his face like he wanted me to do something. And I don't have this beef against state troopers or even police, but the look in his face was the stereotype southern, like racist type guy and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. He was like a white, late 50s type of a guy. So and you were like, I wish my fingers emitted mace. <laughs> ice cream scooper. <laughs> but, but the white privilege, in that case, John assistant now. Um, so that's white privilege. Now, some people say people think uh, that when they use the term white privilege, that what it means is that somehow it's an uh, economic or financial concept. Like, well, there are plenty of, plenty of poor whites all around the country. That's not. That's only an example yeah, of white privilege, part of right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given the fact that most of the wealth is in the hands of white people, yep. right? Yep. But well, nevertheless, that's the poor people who say, "Well, Trump's fancy. He has big buildings and he makes things gold, golden toilet." You know exactly. It's the yeah. There's a few folks like that. There's a lot of poor white people, poor, and they say and they dismiss it because they don't want it to be true. So they say that's what it is, and that's only an instance of it. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's just an accessibility to something that you didn't really earn, that you acquire in virtue of just being white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, who determines that is always external, right? So you don't choose to have the white privilege. It's given to you, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be the most, the, the noblest white person in the world. But you still have something. And you still have it, not because you did anything, but because of how people treat you and how you're able to maneuver and do things just because of your white skin. And as long as you're on this planet Earth, you do not get to choose to have white privilege. Mm-hmm. And people think it's something that I'm doing, and and no, it's not. It's not something you're doing. It's how you're being treated and your accessibility to, to different mm-hmm. things and so mm-hmm. forth. So you could be the poorest white person, and I guarantee you that if you stop to help me at that that that, that snow at E two when my car went down the hill, uh, down the embankment. That if you're the poorest white person, you had white privilege because you were white, right. and the officer would have looked at you differently, no matter how poor you were. For sure. And so it's 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 not puzzling to me why people don't get white privilege uh, because I know they they won't want it to be true. Mm-hmm. Because as as I say, usually experience one or two emotions: either anger or guilt when something disturbs you. If you experience anger, that allows you to project that onto somebody else and say that what you're saying is false white privilege doesn't exist mm-hmm. you're you're uh, you're liberal lefty blah blah blah, blah whatever like that and whatever and I could be angry at you but I don't have to change anything about myself but I could I could vent my anger and that's what I want because I have this negative emotion I want to get out so I could duke it out with you and that's that's why you see a lot of angry people because that they have a negative experience and they interpret it so that they can experience anger. Now, the other emotion mm-hmm. is guilt, right? Same situation, but guilt does something. Guilt turns inward, right? Mm-hmm. It forces you to deal with something, accept something that's true, and it forces you to do something about something that's unjust. Anger doesn't require that. If anything, it says yeah. that you said something that was false, it's mm-hmm. a lie, mm-hmm. there's no global warming, there's really no racism, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to make sure mm-hmm. you understand that. Mm-hmm. Guilt turns within. You don't have anybody to talk to. It forces you to say what they said was true, mm-hmm. and this negative feeling will be there until I make a change. I'm not sure I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I better interpret this or that this is false, what he's saying, and now I experience anger. 
rather than mm, kill. That's really good. I know I do this like with, with, with meat, okay? I don't want anybody telling me anything about chickens. <laughs> right. Or fish. Or turkey. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to get angry because it's a disturbing story. And I know that if I take it as true, then it may feel, make me feel guilty mm. to, do, to well, stop eating turkey. It, and well, I don't want like the, to. The first step of caring about something is, is realizing you don't give a fuck about it. So, like, uh, so like, <laughs> if you want to be vegetarian, the first step to saying I love a chicken is saying I don't give a fuck about a chicken. Right. Because you've been eating chicken your whole life and right. it's, just, it's just food. And it's a radical change in yep. your paradigm yep. and you're not going to do it because mm. you've been doing this all your life. Is, I'm giving this stuff up. And if you think that this world is being, this, this country is great as it is because things have been done your way. Yep. And now you're told that most of what you do is catered toward being white. And so forth from the very beginning of this country, mm-hmm. you go one. That sounds too Star Wars like, you know, and so forth. <laughs> Secondly, if it's true, my God, there's some major changes I have to do, and I have to give up a lot of things yeah. and sacrifice. Hell no. Well, the hardest part about my job is seeing how little people care about Native Americans. So, like, we have who are they? I, Native, I I saw them in Gunsmoke. Right. Yep, we have so many Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's what so, they yeah, speak right. gibberish. They don't even know so, how to talk. This right. is this is yeah. super sad. But I would say ninety percent <laughs> of our Native American <laughs> clients <laughs> are this stereotype, complete alcoholic. Alcohol, yeah. Um, how did it happen? And exactly, and it's and it's terrible. And like, they're some of the people I have the most conversations with, but they are like invisible people. Yeah, they are. God, that's and ironic. Our our society, just, which was their concept, yeah, it's so ironic. Yeah, it, but, and they had no concept of property or land ownership because mm-hmm. it was everybody's. They had such a beautiful concept of life and community, and we just shit all over it. And said, wait, you don't own this? Here, we'll give right. you some beads. Just sign this piece of paper. Right. Here's some smallpox. It means nothing. Yeah. And even even though the United States is not Europe, and or Europe is not the United States, put it that way, even though the United, the Europe is not the United States in terms of the race issue, you cannot help but, but admit that the racism that exists in this country is is derivative from the mm. European culture. Oh, my God, yeah. 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 You, you know, so if I go there now, Scotty's there, like, oh, yeah, people don't see me this way. Yeah, but this racism that exists here didn't come out of the blue. Yeah. So you think about Cortez, you know, when he was here, like, what's what's this yellow orange, I mean, this uh, yellowish Maze. gold, gold, oh, yeah. oh. Uh, I see it, oh yeah, we got tons of this stuff. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be back. Well, just like and every, look what happened. Every time we sign a treaty and say this is your reservation, and then we find the mineral rights on it. We're like, but we didn't sign the part that said we wouldn't give away the mineral rights. So now that there's this here, we're gonna take yeah, it. Shady. Sorry, it's completely shady. I, if you've if you've never gone to an Indian reservation, I would suggest you go just to see the most heart wrenching scene of America. Like that's America. This is where we force not people a, not into a pretty these, picture. Force people into these ghettos that are completely. I mean, just they should just call them pools of despair. You know, and they don't have the the the, the power. See, the African. I don't. I really haven't done any study on this. But why is it the African Americans have done such a have impacted this country in such a huge way mm. socially, um, economically, in various ways? Where Native Americans quite haven't. But they've been abused too, right? They've been abused. So why that we were able to 
protest and do such great things. There might be a simple answer to that. I just haven't thought about it. I, well, just a simple answer, I would say just population percentage. Probably that, yeah. And they mm-hmm. most anyone were killed off or directly yeah. or indirectly and so forth. Yeah, well, their culture was literally just pulled out of the ground, mm-hmm. where African-American culture, even though it was underground, was allowed to flourish in a certain way, mm-hmm. even though it was underground, like jazz, you know. Um, but and then appropriated by fucking yeah, white people. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Na- but native culture, if you spoke your mother tongue, they would cut you right. out mm-hmm. or beat you until you didn't speak anymore. It's a little different. I mean, it's still oppression, like apples and oranges, oppression, oppression, but, I mean, the genocide of an entire continent... And it was of necessity for African Americans too. Like if you had Jim Crow laws to slavery, like no, I don't want this. I don't think this is a good idea. I better do something about it, even if some of my people die or if I die. And so, because Martin Luther King said, you know, some of us might have to die. You know, and every every revolution I'm aware of resulted in people dying. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for something to change. Yep. And yep. and so when you think about this country for whites in terms of whites who say let's make change, let make. Do you think white people are finally there where they're actually willing to give their lives yet? Not yet? In order for things to really change, some, some, I don't want to say people have to actually lose their lives, but that might be the case. Uh, Something close to it, but people are not willing, uh, whites are not willing to go that. Some, you know, if you think back to the civil rights movement, the the whites that did lose their lives were not evangelical Christians. They were Protestant, Catholic, or sectarian, I mean, uh, secular, and so forth. Barrigans. Um... But there were those who did lose their lives, and we do see some changes. But that, unfortunately, is what it's going to have to take. And so when you think about Christianity, you know, when I said it's very the Babylon, we can think of what we see now as Babylon the Great, right? Yeah. That, that is very self-focused, and uh, nothing's going to change until uh, at least white and Christian circles, I'm not saying just whites, but for those who say they're Christians, mm-hmm. Or just whites in general. If you want to see a, a change in this country, it's going to require some very radical changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even even if it leads to imprisonment, death, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's at least a good wrap up for okay. now tonight. Yeah. Um, can I can I say wait? One? That's a yeah. weird ending. What What do you mean? It has to end in death or imprisonment? That if for for a revolution, yeah. revolution to by revolution meaning the the change the status quo, the the structures that exist. In terms of how people are discriminated against, the economic social structures, that for for that really to be dismantled, uh, we have that, to kill some people, or no, some, no, people no, no. <laughs> some people are dying. Okay, that like that. I use the word sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yeah. sacrifice. Right. So that means that you, whoever you are, that that's concerned about change, that you have to consider that you have to make a major sacrifice. Yep. What does that mean? It could mean imprisonment. It could mean quality of life change. It, okay, she was in Martin Luther King's words. It could often mean death, and that's what happened to him. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Can I say one thing just real quick? And I know that we're running late here, but I feel like I'd be doing a disservice. You guys are welcome to hang out. I have to go to bed. Speak something, but okay. that's what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. He's ASL man. Uh, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice just to not say. And I know I don't even like using the phrase white privilege because like that's the only perspective I have and can have in this birth in this life and so it makes me uncomfortable to even talk about it like oh I understand this thing that is the only filter I have on life but as a white southern man I have to who's in a lower tax bracket a very low tax like I'm poor as it gets I've been homeless I have been homeless I'm luckily not now but um, I just have to say 
when Obama was elected, I was still conservative. I hadn't started deconstructing any of my worldview at all or anything like that. And so at the time, like you were saying, Dr. Walker, I, I, I still had this perspective where it was like, um, I, I didn't have a plan B. It was like, oh, I don't like health care because I was told not to. Right. And because... Tribalism. Yeah. And it was, it was like, oh, well, I was still just 100% in it. In a, I guess a capitalist mindset I wish I had a better word than capitalist But like Just in this mindset where it's like Well every person for themselves or whatever Those damn socialists Exactly Yeah mm-hmm. And I was just, I think I was at the time still living with my parents and stuff And like I just I mean privilege, privilege, privilege And Now Like I, We talk about this a lot But like I have mental health issues And I am on medication for that And like I don't even think I, I can't even tell you if I'd be alive right now If I didn't have the Affordable Care Act. If I didn't, if I didn't have like so, just as a message to all you people out there, just please, just consider being an ally. Just think about it. For people like, mm-hmm. let's just help each other stay alive. Yeah. Let's just try to do that, maybe. Because I, I wouldn't. I'm pretty positive I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't even be hearing this message if not for. Yeah, maybe there's problems with the Affordable Care Act. It's abusable. Yeah, of course. Like like you were saying, everything's Anything, abusable. Right. Yeah. You know, but like, if you're listening to this and you have any appreciation for it, just know it wouldn't be happening if not for people trying to move society forward and, and, and for people who have a conception of love and being, I know it's a buzzword, but being an ally for each other. Like, let's, can we just try, guys? That's all. Thanks for, for sharing it. Yeah. I work with people who have disabilities. If the Affordable Care Act wasn't here, I can guarantee you that many of the people I work with would not have health care, mm-hmm. would not have what they need. Right. And most of them don't have what they need, even under, even, even with yeah, sure. that, because it's of it's better. But and, and what you hear some people, you know, um, I, I think this would be true of Malcolm X that some people people that he really had a problem with were that we had, we used to term house nigger mm-hmm. and he, he, mm-hmm. he actually referred to this African American scholar in an in interview not interview but it was a uh, talk show once which which scholar? Uh, I, I forgot who it was actually was that he, like an allegation with like Uncle Tom? As a, no, well that was sort of the the slave that was taking care of in the house in the house that was and I kind of uh, I kind of have the same sense that someone who is African American, person of color, who buys into that type of thinking, I have a, I have very little tolerance for that person because you ought to know better. You ought mm-hmm. to know better. So what I'm referring to is I have a number of uh, Latino friends or Asian friends or acquaintances who use just the opposite, and they say, "Well, the Affordable Care Act didn't help me out." Okay. Wow, so the world is focused on you. Mm-hmm. The fact that something didn't benefit you means it's, it's bad or, or, or ineffective for the whole country just because you didn't benefit for it? Wow. Mm-hmm. You know? It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, yeah. and you don't even bother to look at how it may impact like the people that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Let's suppose it didn't help me out. I want to know, well, it probably helped other people out, mm-hmm. but so self-focused, you know? So I could tell you, this young man I'm thinking of is just like... Mm-hmm. He he went to Iraq in the military and came back a different person. Guns left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're almost at two hours, so we should. We're going to do recommendations, but I want to say uh, I don't think we need recommendations tonight. You know, have no idea what Let's you guys really are talking want about. It's <laughs> a no, segment. No, we it's do. a segment we do. Like we do recommendations. We don't have to do it. Go ahead. 
I'm just gonna be in here. <laughs> it's just like, like you recommend something that you like. It could be a book, a movie. A oh, show. you were talking earlier. Yeah, right. Uh, right. I like doing it because I'm sure you know I've learned things. You know, shows and books to read. I like doing it, but if you want to come back and then you know a while, that would be. I was talking about the police and all that. Heck yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I think our. Our listeners are going to like what you have to say. We liked what you had to say. Um, so, yeah, well, you know, I'm to be in touch. But recommendations, I feel like half of our table just left. Maybe they'll come back. Um, so I'll start. Um, two things I want to recommend is I'm really into fiction because after being in school most of my adult life and having to read theology and philosophy books, I've been reading a lot of fiction, a lot of novels, a lot of other things. And uh, I picked up a book, um, it's called Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. And if you know anything about Neil Gaiman, he's like sci-fi fantasy type guy. But what he did is he um, grew up reading the Norse mythology of the you know pantheon of gods of like Loki and Odin and, and all that. And But he, what he's doing is he's taking these very obscure stories and texts and making them more into like one novel an easy readable novel um so it's really it's kind of cool because when you read it from the because i'm norwegian and so when you read norse mythology i'm like oh this is kind of like maybe what some of my ancestors along the way understood but you you see a lot of like greek mythology and oh yeah you know in there and all stuff but it's just and it's a fast read i'm not i'm already on like page 16 i started reading it last night so that's one thing. And then one of my favorite bands uh, growing up, um, they were a Christian punk rock band, but they're far from that now. But uh, MXPX just dropped a new album. Um, it was totally crowdsourced, crowdfunded. And they just dropped it um, Tuesday night. And it's already like shot up to the trending on iTunes like really fast. Um, and it's just it's all over the place. And so if you like punk rock music, listen to it. It's only 30 minutes long. It's a typical punk punk rock album, but super good, super heavy, and I recommend it. So, anybody else? Um, before I give my recommendation, I actually have a correction from last week. I made an error when I was going on my rant about Richard Hell and Sid Vicious. I said Richard Hell played in the New York Dolls. That's false. He played in a band called The Heartbreakers, which was an offshoot. Johnny Thunders, who was the lead singer of New York Dolls, quit New York Dolls and then formed The Heartbreakers, and Richard Hell was in The Heartbreakers instead of New York Dolls. Is that why all of our, our British listeners have been barraging yeah, you on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if I checked my Twitter, I'm just, probably some angry people on there. Um, but I just wanted to get that correction. Um, and then my recommendation for the week is a comic book series called Rat Queens. Um, it's this very cool kind of feminist comic book. It's like, um, I forgot what they call it. It's like Tank Girl meets Lord of the Rings. Like, uh, it's these four ladies. It's like an elf, a mage, like a little tiny hobbit, and then like a woman dwarf. And they go on like these badass adventures, and they're fighting all these these things, and they all kind of like live together, and it's this cool dynamic of like women supporting women, and you know, like they come in all different shapes and sizes. They do, and they're not wearing like skimpy clothing. Like nice. the dwarf isn't fighting like 
giants in like a thong and you know <laughs> chainmail bikini like it's like really real Barbarella. yeah Barbarella <laughs> yeah she, they don't look like Barbarella um, and they're they just have like such a cool friend dynamic and I like that they look like how you think women warriors would look mm-hmm. um, and it's really fun nice. and I forgot where it was on some blog I read about it um, and I ended up picking it up and I was like, oh, this is really cool because I, I like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah. It's really fun. I recommend Rat Queens. Anybody else? You don't have to do recommendations, but... Sorry, I don't have I have one. Uh, well, first off, I haven't been here before. My name's Curtis, uh, Captain Curtis on Twitter, with a Captain, or Curtis with a K. Um... But yeah, I recommend a TV show called Flowers. It's on BBC Four. Uh, just had the second season oh, yes. come out, and it goes through such a crazy range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, deals with some really heavy topics that aren't addressed a lot in TV. It's pitched as a comedy, but mm-hmm. uh, opening scene. Spoiler alert. Starts with a guy trying to uh, hang himself from a tree, his, a tree in yeah. his backyard, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very dark, pitch black humor TV show. It's probably not for everyone, but I found it to be uh, able to make you laugh and cry within the span of like fifteen seconds. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's is uh, it on like Netflix, Hulu, one of those? I think it's on Hulu. I think. I have no clue. I don't do any of that stuff. I just go the pirate beta. <laughs> yeah, so don't you, it's that. out there. It's out there somewhere. We'll just say <laughs> cyberspace. Torn yeah. it and then donate directly to the director. That's what I say. There you go. I recommend just real quick, I recommend. Can we just try, guys? I know I, I took a turn halfway. Th- I'm usually. Just absurd and ridiculous, but like this was, this was a fucking reality check. And can we just try? Like Jesus said, I would, you know, I was homeless and you wouldn't pay for my health care. I was gay and you wouldn't sell me a cake. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, can we just Matthew twenty five? Can we just try? That's yeah. all. I recommend Matthew twenty five. <laughs> Good job, Caleb. I concur. You know, it's a scandal, actually. <laughs> Next time on Sacred Collective. Theocracy. Um, as a footnote, um, you, you might have seen this on my Facebook uh, that um, a church I'm attending, and notice I said attending, not member, um, Lutheran Church. Um, one of the members there, he's a professor at the U in engineering. He's uh, He does work with cancer. Uh, looking for cure for cancer as an engineer, of all people. Anyway, um, I kept recommending this book to him that you guys should. My, did you have my ethics class? Okay, so you did you bring in my ethics? No, I had uh, Doctor Clark. Unfortunately, uh, wasn't my choice. Totally wasn't my choice. Okay, and then he, he requires you to <laughs> use his book, right? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, I could tell you stories about ethics courses and so forth, and I no longer teach it. But I wonder why. But 
Um, a book I use was written 1998, somewhere in that ballpark. Josh, you 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 would uh, know where I'm going. It's called Divided by Faith. And so David Adi, he's a professor at the U. I kept, you know, I said, read that book, read the book. I mean, it's, it's really old now, like 1998, right? Yeah. But a lot of, if you it's read, still, it's like, it's still, it's like, it's still was it 2017? Yeah. So uh, the U has a building on campus called the Ensem House. Yep. Do you know what I'm talking yep. about? Yep. And it's a, it's a um, ecumenical uh, ministry. So I've seen all kind of people going there from various backgrounds, and even people who are just searching or, or atheists or agnostic. And they have uh, like a book reading, or not a book reading, but uh, they go through a book. So uh, it meets for like five, five weeks or however many weeks, and they discuss a book. And there may be various books throughout five or six weeks. They meet once a week or whatever like that. So we did Divided by Faith. Uh, so David and I, we led the group and discussed that book in five weeks. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm mentioning the book, not so much that. I mean, I'll be interested to... Uh, there's a woman that's going to be speaking there, I think, in August on... I could send you guys the information, but something on... has to do with race. We got to spit, but, I mean, more specific than that, but uh, it's not very interesting. She's a professor at the U. We can put it in the episode notes. Yeah. One more cases. Yeah, so anyway, the book is a, is, is a great read. Uh, and the Ansem House, I'm going to try to stay in, in contact with, with that ministry, whatever it is, to see who's going to be uh, leading a book uh, discussion in the future in the fall. So. I'm actually on their mailing list. Really? Because Dr. Armstrong used to teach Chris Armstrong. Chris, Chris Armstrong, He's right. part of it, and he's actually, oh, he spoke on medieval Christianity, okay. his book there. Uh, and then back in the day, a long time ago, yes, um, they brought in before they changed it. This is when I was still in college, so before 2006, they actually the U of M brought Stanley Howard Voss. Oh, really? To the campus. Okay. And that's how I kind of got connected with them. So yeah, but mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. sweet. Should we cut it because we're at two hours? Yeah. Let's do this. Is this a one more workout? Till next, <laughs> next time. Till next time. Let's we should we do a quick roll call. Boy. Just say your name real sure. fast. Sure, Brian. Angela. Bernard. Kayleen. Kurt. Joshua. Brian. I mean, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. A post Christian production.